You're listening to the Hamburg Design Review's Shadplex Part 1, The Viewing. The alarm clock came on sharply, its harsh tones chastising anyone within earshot. Joshua Oglesby, Southeast England Real Estate Agent of the Year 2048, one-bedroom category, blinked awake in the darkness, lit only by a feeble reddish light that announced the time, 6.30 in the morning. Christ, it was a Saturday, wasn't it? Had he not remembered to switch the bastard thing off last night? Evidently not. He angled his face blearily towards that of his wife, Michelle, searching for the right combination of sweet nothings that would smoothly shift the blame. But, damn it, Michelle somehow slept on, the clock's petulant beeps failing to penetrate the state of bliss afforded by the premium earplugs he'd given her two weeks ago for her 32nd. The alarm clock was built firmly into the headboard of their bed, which was built firmly into the floor and walls of their new-built flat. It looked suspiciously similar to the clock on their oven, almost identical in fact. Joshua started jabbing at the faux chrome buttons, knowing that if he could silence it fast enough, he might still get back to sleep. Just as he managed to turn it off, into the room bounded Foxton, their first and only child. He had a question on his lips. Daddy, what are we going to view today? Foxton was seven years old, maybe just about old enough to have some hazy memories of the before time, before the family made the long-awaited move to the gated community that they had lusted after for so long, Shadplex, a huge development on the south bank of London's Mastercard Thames River, inhabited exclusively by estate agents and their families. The Shadplex properties all came on the market together late in the summer of 2045. It had sparked a bizarre scramble in the industry. Before you knew it, everyone wanted to be in Shadplex. If you were an estate agent worth your salt and you weren't buying in Shadplex, well, you weren't really worth your salt. What nobody saw coming was the way the community would go on to seal itself off from the outside world. Joshua and his family remained on the outside for a while. He was still pretty new to a state agency when Shadplex opened, and hadn't scratched enough of the right backs yet. But finally, after a few years of agonising status anxiety, an industry veteran passed away, and they were finally able to move into their Riverside apartment in 2050. They were the last to be admitted before Shadplex formally declared the closure of its borders. Of course, it being full of estate agents, Nobody on the outside world really seemed to mind. It just meant they could get on with property transactions much more straightforwardly now, as it was in centuries past. Honour, fairness, bonds forged in good strong fibre, rather than tricksy, tiresome contract speak. Shadplex was now home to some 3,000 estate agents. Many had families, making for a total of around 7,000 Shadplex residents. Not long after the Oglesby's had settled in, they realised that there wasn't much to do in Shadplex. No real leisure facilities, other than a smattering of basement gyms here and there in the complex. The truth slowly dawned. The only real leisure activity that anyone seemed to engage in was going on viewings of other people's properties, which explained Foxton's question. What are we going to view today? Joshua looked thoughtfully at his dear son. Was this a good life for a seven-year-old? A seven-year-old who couldn't climb a tree or even ride a bike, but who seemed preternaturally adept at decoding a property's energy rating from an overly complicated colour and letter graded chart. Well, 
I think your mum's arranged a viewing at the Bautistas today, he said. Foxton beamed and wheeled away with glee, running out of the room again, bare feet slapping on the high-end parquet flooring. Ah, oh, the Bautistas. Pierre Bautista and Joshua had worked together in the before time, in the Clapham branch of Keaton Morris. Pierre Bautista was half French, half Brazilian, but had grown up in Manchester in the early 2000s, where he'd picked up the nickname PB. He had an easy self-confidence that verged on cockiness, qualities that Joshua longed after and which he often tried to emulate. Back in the late 2020s, PB bestrode the Keaton Morris office, deploying this contrived combination of Latin laid-backness and Mancunian street shithousery to get more deals done than anyone else. PB became the self-declared but undisputed commission's king of Keaton Morris. He somehow wangled away to siphon off an extra 10% on top of what Joshua and the other lower-rung shitmunchers got. Joshua remembered him as a big guy, but Jesus, PB's years in Shadplex with round-the-clock access to high-end gym equipment had transformed him into an undeniably buff man, a fact that he made no effort to disguise with his choice of extra slim-fit everything. Joshua sighed and got out of bed. They were due at the Bautistas for the viewing at midday, and there was a lot of mourning to fill before then. Around five minutes past midday, the Oglesbys entered the lift on the ground floor of Shadplex's tallest building, Heron Tower, where the Bautistas lived on the 37th of its 60 floors. This was a prime spot, high enough that their apartment boasted fantastic river views, but low enough in the tower that you couldn't see too far into the outside world. Michelle was wearing her René Lafont coat, a devastatingly expensive blue thing that Joshua secretly loathed. Foxton clutched the bottle of red wine they were bringing, a truly generous gift in these times of short supply, thought Joshua. Wine was delivered from the outside world once a fortnight. It filtered unseen into the Nissan mini-markets that had somehow been granted the exclusive rights to operate in Shadplex ahead of other, more likely names. Lately, the deliveries had slowed down and decreased in size, but not just wine. Other essentials like bread, milk and saffron were increasingly hard to come by, no matter which Nissa you went to. The lift gently hummed as it soared upwards, the splendour of the London skyline gradually revealing itself through the window. Did Foxton remember his life out there? How he used to play in the parks and playgrounds? Joshua looked down at his boy and ruffled his blonde curls. Like a good dad ought to, he thought. Probably best not to dwell on such things. In a flash, they had ascended the tower. Express lift. The doors slid smoothly open, directly revealing the Bautista's resplendent living room. Christ, there he was. PB, approaching the lift doors, spreading his huge arms wide like a seabird to signal he was coming in fast for a hug. Behind him, his wife, Raquel Jones, half Spanish, half English, apparently, was laying a glossy white round table with an array of snacking items. Their flat was dripping with luxury and expense. Thick Moroccan rugs of varying intricate patterns broke up the slippery, no, polished marble flooring. Running across one side of the room, floor-to-ceiling windows showed off an expansive vista of Shadplex. The Oglesby's had been on a couple of viewings at the Bautista's flat before, but the pangs of jealousy never seemed to diminish. PB had Joshua in his crushing embrace now. Bro, you alright? His accent was as improbable as ever, mostly Mancunian, mixed in with the Brazilian and French influences of his early upbringing and home life. 
Hey, PB. Great to see you, man. Yeah, you too, et toi. So, so you saw the pictures online, right? He appeared to be ushering them into the viewing mode, much faster than he had ever done previously. Yeah, looks nice, Joshua replied, maintaining the premise of the fresh, potential tenant-led viewing. He even tried to spice up his usual lines. We couldn't get the video tour to load, though, but I guess... Well, hey, we can do one better than a video tour now, huh? Came PB's booming voice from the next room. He soon re-entered the hall, a small tablet computer in hand. Tiny tablet computer compared to his massive palm. Okay, right, so uh, you guys, you ready to take, uh, take a look around now, huh? Foxton whooped as PB stooped to give him a high five, and the tour began. For 15 minutes, the Oglesbys followed PB around the flat, noticing the details, the fittings, asking all the right questions about natural light and sound insulation. Michelle even queried the energy efficiency rating, mainly to keep Foxton entertained. PB seemed really wired, on edge somehow. His forehead was sweaty, despite the optimally acclimatised room temperature. A vein popped from his temple when he emphasised a point about the sound insulation. It was as Joshua, for the third time in his life, remarked on the size of the Balhesus bathroom mirror, and a crash came from the kitchen. Broken glass, it sounded like. PB's sales facade dropped, just for a second before rising back up his toned face. Hey, uh, bear with me please guys, huh? I'm just gonna go and uh, check, on, uh, check on that. Huh? He strode off, leaving the Oglesby's quietly looking at themselves in what, it had to be said, was a truly massive mirror. Foxton broke the silence with a sudden cry, Snack time! before running off in the direction of the kitchen, the squeak of his rubber shoe soles on the marble flooring announcing his arrival. Joshua and Michelle followed their son a few seconds later, slightly concerned by the lack of sound and, frankly, customer service from PB. On entering the kitchen, Michelle gasped. Joshua, just behind her, caught his breath. Leaning with both hands on the gargantuan kitchen island stood Raquel. She didn't look up. At her feet, the white marble was covered in something red, a liquid, slowly running towards the other side of the layout. Not such an even floor after all, thought Joshua, before he caught sight of PB and panic filled him. Down in the midst of the liquid, surrounded by it, the hulking figure was just visible from around the island's linseed veneer. Christ! PB! Felled! On his kitchen floor and surrounded by an oozing deep red! But wait. No. PB appeared to be fine, dabbing at what Joshua now realised was spilt wine with a length of kitchen roll. He felt his heart slow. Um... He began, and PB turned to see them. Oh hey, uh, sorry, we had, um, we had a bit of an accident. Raquel now looked up, freed from whatever daze she'd been in before. She always did seem a bit spaced out, like she'd just arrived from the moon or something. I bloody tripped on my own foot. Just knocked a glass right off the top. She said, before hastily adding, I'm so sorry, I've, I've wasted a glass of your lovely wine. Michelle, ever the diplomat, stepped in. That's okay. I'd probably have slipped. This floor's just so smooth. She said, moving towards the snack table to stop Foxton eating all the profiteroles. It's not even that smooth. Came Raquel's swift reply. It's just actually, it's just right, I'd, I'd say. PB was now standing up. Joshua nodded his head pointedly towards his son, whose face and fingers were covered in chocolate. How is it with staining? he asked, trying desperately to get the viewing back on track. Hey, to be perfectly honest with you, um, this is going to be the first real test of that? came PB's reply, as he shuffled towards the fully integrated slide-out bin, or at least the slick uniform panel behind which Joshua imagined such a bin should be. PB seemed slightly out of the zone, not his usual commissioned monster self. His habitually confident gaze was now jittery, never landing on one spot for any real length of time. Joshua watched as PB pushed the integrated bin's release button, 
the panel clicking softly inwards before beginning on its way out. He watched as the faux wood bumped into PB's leg, PB who was still looking in Joshua's direction, not paying attention. PB who'd been, not ten minutes ago, extolling the virtues of the high-density, heavyweight fiberboard, damp-resistant, warp-resistant, solid, that's what he'd said, thumping the surface with his closed fist, as he'd done countless times over the years. Now, Joshua watched as PB was knocked off balance. He'd taken his brogues off to avoid getting wine on them, and now he was at the mercy of his polished, no, slippery floor. Then, things sped up and got simple. PB went down like a ton of bricks, his head cracked sickeningly into the corner of a veiny marble worktop, then landed hard on the floor. Raquel yelped as her husband's hulking figure again settled in the midst of the red wine. This time, the red was tinged with another shade of red, slowly spreading into the precious wine. Joshua felt the panic again. Across town, DC Liam Moonstone of the Shadplex Police Force had his feet on his desk as he tucked into an all-day breakfast triple sandwich. Moonstone had his own supply links with the outside world, carefully maintained and jealously guarded. He didn't want other residents getting their hands on luxuries like the one he bore in his hands at this very moment here in the basement of Mallard Wharf, the makeshift police headquarters of the Shadplex development. It hadn't always been this bad, he thought, illicit snacking on an unwieldy sandwich in a grotty and uncared-for basement, but it had been his choice to join the Shadplex police force. Someone had to do it, and he fancied the change anyway, after all those years of successful estate agenting in the Newcastle region. He'd always enjoyed police dramas on TV, the swashbuckling heroics, the hard-boiled stares, the undeniable romance of it all. It was true, there wasn't actually much crime in Shadplex. So far, the only recorded incidents revolved around repeated lateness or no-showing at arranged viewings. But while everyone else was wasting their time getting shown around properties, Moonstone got to roll around the complex's plushly carpeted corridors and community plazas on a Segway with the speed limiter removed. On his days off, which were many and the opposite of far between, Moonstone avoided viewings, which made him something of an oddity, a Shadplex-centric even. But he was well-liked in the tiny Pizza Express next door to the Keaton Morris branch in Signet's Key, and what, he thought, could be more important than that? American hot, hold the chili, and a Diet Coke, no ice. That was his usual order. A Moonstone pictured the waitress, Kelly Ruiz, who was also a former estate agent, and her expression of what was definitely admiration when he'd said, no ice, in his Diet Coke. Yeah, no ice, that's fine. Tearing him from this reminiscence, Moonstone's standard issue iPhone G buzzed. Ongoing incident. Immediate response required. Goose place. DC Moonstone carefully put the half-eaten breakfast sandwich back in its packaging and got to his feet, which he then heaved onto his Segway. It was just another day on the grind. Goose Place was as standard an area as you could imagine for a town like Shadplex. Liam Moonstone, in his agent days, could have made hay selling its square-balconied, wood-slatted new-build units to youngish couples looking for the illusion of space and more affordable monthly payments. Uh, transport costs, Liam thought, chuckling to himself. You might save a tiny bit with a preferential mortgage rate for a cheaply put-together four-room flat, but you'll be getting rinsed on the train. Of course, Shadplex had no need for trains and the inhabitants of Goose Place were mainly getting rinsed by rising damp and poor natural light in any of the north-facing aspects, which somehow was every single aspect of the rectangular block. But Liam wasn't a physicist and therefore he had a job to do. 
The incident seemed to just be another viewing no-show, and the estate agent was pacing irately in front of an open door in the northerly south corner of the faux-cobbled square. Third time this week. The agent, who Liam vaguely recognised as Daryl Humphreys, called out as the police officer approached, his segue rolling at a relaxed pace. You've got to do something about this this monster, Daryl said, now standing still, his eyes fixed on the cobbles. Uh, could have been a viewing myself, you know. Been trying to sort one out in Cormorant Lodge for a month. Free bed suite, en suite with Nicola Peter. His words caught in his throat. So distressed was he at missing out on that apparently prime activity. Liam stepped off the Segway. Peterson? Yeah, yeah, sorry, Nicola Peterson. Exactly. Moonstone shook his head slightly as he brought to mind the formidable figure of Nicola Peterson, former realtor to the tabloid stars and one hell of an effective, if somewhat cutthroat, operator. Rumour had it she once sold Princess Di a flat share in Clapham with Peter Andre and George Michael. Triple commission fees and a big ol' 18 monther with no break clause, it was the stuff of legends in the right circles. Just then, Moonstone's stomach rumbled. It was time to go. Well, I must say, um, Daryl, it looks like you've got everything under control, so if you don't mind, I'll probably just get... Moonstone trailed off, distracted by a new notification dinging away on his iPhone G. What were the chances of this? You know, there's another ongoing incident going on, ongoing now, right now, going on. Uh, he, he thought wistfully of his breakfast sandwich back in Mallard's Wharf, probably growing more stale by the minute. He peered at the iPhone screen. Heron Tower, 37th floor, urgent response needed. They were always so needy when they contacted him. Would it really kill them to come across slightly less needy without all this urgent response for what? For some other Daryl having a fit of the vapours? Moonstone sighed and shifted his heft, expertly spinning the segue around to face in the vague direction of Heron Tower. He sped onwards, revving the segue to the max and leaning into the corners, effortlessly plotting a step-free path across the white and grey piazzas and drab communal green spaces, a variety of gently inclined disabled access ramps easing him along the route. Three minutes later, he was at the foot of Heron Tower, peering up at its ominously sleek exterior, its intimidating height. Not that he had a problem with that. Nor did he have a good feeling about this one. Joshua was panting and trembling. Michelle and Foxton too. He scrambled for his keys trying to get into their apartment. One thought on his mind. Run. He kept on replaying the scene in his mind, scarcely believing what had just happened. The way Raquel had reacted, the the things she had said. PB had gone down, a blow to the head. That much he was sure of, things didn't look good. But the follow-up from Raquel, the accusations, the threats, the bogus proof she had produced of some sort of foul play, the little box of pills, fished from Michelle's coat pocket in front of them. Joshua believed his wife when she said they weren't hers, that she'd never seen them before in her life. But this certainty hadn't been enough to stop him panicking and leading his family away, back into the lift. He could still hear Raquel's screams, her melodramatic cries, accusing them of drugging PB? They'd grown quieter as the lift ascended, until the Oglesby stood in silence, in a daze, all three of them jumping in shock at the ding as they reached the ground floor. From there, they practically sprinted back to theirs. Finally, Joshua found the keys and the family were home. I, I think we should pack a bag, a, a bag each, Joshua gasped. Why? replied Michelle. More than anything, it'll be... It'll Joshua grabbed his wife by the shoulders. Michelle, this isn't the old times, this isn't the outside world. Do you think the police, the law, whoever it is that runs this place cares if we've done nothing wrong? Joshua, I just... Look, we need to get out of town, just for a bit. 
just until until Raquel. I mean, did you hear her? Did you see her? Can we go for viewing at Swan Crescent now? Came Foxton's little voice. He hadn't grasped the situation, understandably, and had buried himself in one of his favourite property brochures. Neither Joshua nor Michelle answered. Then, quieter than he'd been, calmer, Joshua released his wife's shoulders. Where's the small suitcase? Under Foxton's bed. There was nowhere else for it to go. We, we don't exactly have egret court levels. Yeah, I know. We don't have egret court levels of storage, Joshua retorted, tired of the constant comparison. Look, now's not the time. We need to go before it gets dark. And before anyone starts looking for us. Michelle seemed to be on board by this point, Joshua thought, allowing himself a tiny internal smile as he credited the persuasive charm that had carried him through his career. We can go stay with my friend Charlie. You remember her, right? She's the landscape gardener? Michelle was talking now as she rushed around the flat, gathering essentials. Joshua did remember Charlie, insufferable, but the only person he could think of that the couple, or at least Michelle, had stayed in touch with since moving to Chadplex. Charlie, and her soulless box hedges and faux rice paddy multi-tiered pampas lawn seemed to be their only hope. God help them. Shadplex was a Hamburg Designery production. Uh, keep your eyes out for part two.